This episode of Career in Ruins is produced in association with the Council for British Archaeology and was recorded at their annual Archaeology Day, which is open to CBA members and the general public. It took place on the 22nd of November 2019 in London. Now, it's important that we acknowledge that this year's event was overshadowed by an incident during the Marsh Awards when audible laughter broke out in the audience during the introduction of Danielle Bradford's nomination in the Early Career Researcher Award. Danny was highly commended for her research and campaigning on incidents of sexual harassment and rape in archaeological fieldwork. Certainly not a laughing matter. This incident left many people at the event upset, not least Danny, and it also attracted significant media attention. The CBA quickly issued a statement in support of Danny in the aftermath of the incident and have launched an investigation by writing to everybody who was in attendance. Outside of this, we feel that it's important to continue with today's episodes as had been originally planned. And it's worth noting that much of the episode, including Mike Hayworth's interview, was recorded in advance of the incident. And overall, we feel it's important to focus on the important work being highlighted during the event. Needless to say, though, we stand by Danny, and her work shines a light on an issue in archaeology that we all have a responsibility to address, both in public and without ridicule. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hi guys, welcome to this week's podcast. Today we're travelling up to London for the CBA Archaeology Day, and I cannot wait. I can't wait. Either. We're going to go around the Mithraeum, which is going to be a great day we're going out. Going a tour with um, Sophie Sophie Jackson, Jackson who's mm. going to give us a tour. She's from MOLA, and we're going to catch up with our old mate Richard Osgood, yeah. who we spoke to last week. And most importantly, the Marsh Archaeology Award winners. It's going to be good, so just let's jump in. Brilliant. Oh, we've made it, we're here. We're outside the Bloomberg building, ready to go to the Mithraeum. Mithraeum, yeah, the Mithraeum Museum. Mithraeum. Yeah, it's exciting times. Have you been here before? I haven't, but I'm really excited. It's, it's one of those places that it's popped up fairly recently on the archaeological scene, and I've heard nothing but good things about it. That's it. I brought my parents here a year or so ago, and it's very experiential, so you're in for a treat. Um, but what I love most about it is the origins of the site. So it was excavated in the 1950s, and it was one of the first really public archaeological excavations. Oh, People wow. came in their droves to come and see the excavations of this temple building that was discovered. And it wasn't till the last few days of the excavation that they found this marble bust of um, Mithras. And um, that's sort of what's led, led to the, the site being labelled the Mithraeum. It's really interesting because it's, it's, I did some reading before we came up today and it's, it's an incredibly important religion in the past. In fact, um, Mithraism, the religion within the Roman Empire, was, was one of the great competitors of Christianity in the 4th century and there's a chance that this could have been the, the global religion of today if, if decisions had gone slightly differently. Ah. I mean it's not just that though is it I and mean, the excavations more recently with, with the creation of the Bloomberg building I believe it was Mola who, uh, who were leading the excavations they found some 400 fragments of ancient Roman writing tablets um, so even just whilst the temple's amazing in its own right the associated artifacts and finds are really interesting so we're in for a bit of a treat I think. It's going to tell us a huge archaeological story and I just can't wait to have a look around. Let's go and get our tour. Hey. 
We've just had an amazing tour around the Mithraeum. Unfortunately, we weren't allowed any sound recording instruments in the Mithraeum itself, but you can take our word for it that it's a fantastic experience. And now we're going to try and have a chat with our tour guide, Sophie Jackson. Sophie, thank you for joining us this afternoon, and thanks for such a great tour. Um, I wonder if you could just give our listeners a quick overview of um, how it came to be, what the background is, and uh, what it is that you've been working on here in the last few years. Wow, well, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the best sites you know, for archaeology in, in, in London. Um, and what, what's really special here is, obviously, it's where the Temple of Mithras was discovered in the 1950s, 1954. Um, there was a you know, crazy time when it was discovered, um, and um, basically it couldn't stay where it was. It was relocated... Um, rebuilt in the 1960s in a, in a rather poor reconstruction and here at, at Bloomberg is, um, you know, finally it's been put back, it's taken, been taken home really, it's been put back into its original location. Um, so what we've got is, a, is a, a, an immersive experience around the reconstructed remains of the Temple of Mithras. That's fantastic. So one of the things you said you did was you rebuilt the temple on its original site. And it must be strange as an archaeologist not to excavate and remove things, but to reassemble them. So what was that process like, rebuilding it from... It was, it was really difficult, actually. As you say, you think your, your records are really good as an archaeologist when you're taking something apart. But to rebuild it, you realise how good your records need to be. Um, fortunately, the, 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 the archaeological drawings and there was a model made in the 1950s and that was all really good. So, it, you know, we, there was even Pathé newsreel um, of, the, of the site. So we, we had a lot of information to go on. But still, it was really difficult. We didn't have enough stones. We had to quarry new stone. We had to find make new Roman bricks. We had to get the right mortars. It took months and months. Actually, it took years and years to get the design right and then months and months and months to build it. But... Uh, is there back home now. And what, what's the public up, uptake been like? Has it it's been well received? Um, it's, it's been phenomenally successful and I think it just shows how much we can get, how much interest we can get and how much knowledge we can share if we actually make the most of our archaeological remains. So since opening, um, there's been over 200, I think 220, 230,000 visitors. And given that it's, you know, it's a small space within the city of London, it's not a museum, it's just a, a space you can pop into. I, I think it's been fantastic. And I think it scores, a, you know, 4.6 on TripAdvisor. Um, you know, people are very, very positive about it. And, and a lot of that is also down to those wonderful um, visitor hosts here that Bloomberg have put on. And they're really, really friendly and helpful and lovely to talk to. The display itself downstairs, it's, it's been very cautious in over-interpreting and giving too much to, to the public in terms of... Um, encouraging them to use their own imaginations down there. How do you personally see the kind of the structure and the rituals in, in the Mithraeum taking place? Well, there, there is a bit more information. You're right, it is, it is quite subtle in the actual immersive experience. And that's so that we don't, you know, we don't know. So we don't want to enforce our opinions on anybody. Outside, in the, the space outside, though, there are um, kiosks which you can get interpretations. And in there we have a, a painted reconstruction drawing of what it might look like. You know, there's a bit of naked ritual going on and some people in, in two different coloured tubes and a bit more explanation so we try to give people and there's, a, there's an audio track as well so we try and give people some of that the, the, the sort of more sort of salacious do I want to say the more, the more lurid um, information outside but then leave it, leave it to your imagination when you get inside That's brilliant it was such a great tour and um, it's, they've done such a great job here so I know you're busy you're about to do another tour so thank you for your time today and uh, really great No, it's a pleasure do come Just, please come and see it if you haven't <laughs> Thank you.
We've just hot-footed it across the city to the Society of Antiquaries here in the magnificent Burlington House, uh, near to Park Lane, is yeah. it, in London? It's a beautiful surround. We are literally in... in in a square surrounded by numerous learned societies, statues, wonderful architecture. It's incredible, but what a what a place to come to after that incredible experience at the Mithraeum. Yeah, what a setup, eh? Really great use of technology and um, immersive experience. Yeah, loved it. It's amazing to see that that kind of underground setup to see see the site restored to its original place with the lighting and the experience and almost the, the taste in the atmosphere of the past it was it was amazing absolutely but um we're now heading into the agm yep. and then we'll have a quick chat with mike as well as uh, hear richard osgood's talk and meet some of the award winners of the marsh awards looking forward to it let's get going We're so pleased to be joined by Mike Hayworth, the director of the CBA. Mike, welcome to Career and Ruins, and thank you for having us along to the CBA Archaeology Day. Um, I wonder if you could start off by just giving us an overview of the Council for British Archaeology and your role within within them. Of course. Well, it's great to have you along here with us today. Um, the CBA has been around for 75 years, um, and the, we're celebrating that event today. And we were started in the 1940s to try and really bring together the, the, the action of local people to influence government as to why archaeology was important. And that, in, in principle, is still one of our key roles. We're, we, we're an advocate for archaeology. Uh, we speak up on behalf of the public uh, and make representations to government in terms of policy and legislation. But over those 75 years, we've grown well beyond that as well. And we are now a major public engagement organisation. We work particularly with young people through the Young Archaeologists Club. Um, we have a range of, of projects and other elements in which we can involve our, and, and engage our members. Um, and we're also a, a body that's very keen on public education. Um, so we're a book producer. Um, we're, um, we have a fantastic magazine that goes out every other month. So we're quite a diverse organisation, uh, and we try and cover the whole range of archaeology. Amongst our membership, you'll find every different element of archaeology. So we're not just part one sector, we're not just contractors, or we're not just universities, or you know, whichever sector it is. We bring everybody together, and that's really one of our huge strengths. Mm. Oh, it, it's, yeah, it's a fantastic organisation, and um, we've, we've touched on a few bit aspects of the, the, the organisation so far in previous podcasts and, and on today's podcast. Yeah, I think following that up, really, I'd just like to get your take on how you see the, the state of archaeology today versus when kind of the CBA started, really. How is how has it changed and how has the discipline changed around it as well? It, it's almost unrecognisable from what it was like in the 1940s. Um, one of my pre predecessors as director did some research a few years ago in the National Archives, and, and he found some amazing documents in that very early period in the late 1940s where CBA was trying to press for a national archaeological service um, and what's clear from those documents now is that we, we won the argument, um, but the government didn't feel sufficiently pressured that they actually had to do it. Um, if we had made that extra step and we'd had that service established at that stage, who knows what the world would be like now. Um, but of course, it took very many years um, for us to get to a place where archaeology was really part of the planning system. Um, and that was really where I came in. I've, I've worked for CBA for nearly 30 years. And one of the very first things I was involved with was, was the work at the Rose Theatre, which really led to the introduction of, of archaeology in the planning system, so-called PPG 16 in, in England. Um, 
and and obviously that's created a, a vast industry um, of of organisations that work in advance of development, uh, and that looks very different to how it looked in the in the 1940s and 50s. But I think there are real concerns as to whether how stable that is within the, the political systems that we have across the UK. And of course, that's another interesting change in recent years. And previously, it was one government we were talking with. Now we're talking with four governments across the UK, which makes life a little bit more complicated at times. Um, but I think, you know, that there are some real issues um, that I see um, and some vulnerabilities that we have um, look going forwards over the next period um, about how we protect archaeological remains, how we ensure that the public can still access um, the knowledge that comes from that work and, and get involved themselves. And that's absolutely core CBA territory and, and a crucial area for us going forwards. So you mentioned there risks to the discipline going forwards. As many of our listeners, I think, uh, have an interest in archaeology or are archaeologists generally, is there anything you think, or the CBA collectively, would suggest that archaeologists and people interested in archaeologists do to help protect the subject going forward and to protect heritage and our past going forward? One, one of the things that I'm not sure everybody fully appreciates is just how dependent we are on the planning system. The vast majority of archaeological sites are only protected through the planning system. Um, and of course, that's locally controlled uh, and, and democratically controlled on behalf of local voters. So the most crucial thing that local people can do, and we're always encouraging CBA members to do this, is to be local advocates for why those really, really important archaeological advisory services that sit within, often within planning departments, uh, why they need to be there and why they need to exist. Because if they're not there... Um, giving advice to the planning authorities, then the conditions won't be added onto the planning applications when they're given. There won't be the opportunities for archaeologists to then go in and do work in advance of development, and we'll lose all that knowledge and information, and that public interface will just disappear. So it's a really critical role. And of course, people often get fired up when things are under threat, and, and yeah, understandably so. Um, but what we need is more proactive um, advocacy. People saying, don't even look at cutting these areas because we think, we think they're important um, and the politicians should go and look somewhere else. And these things you know, are often incredibly um, uh, poor, you know, poorly resourced. They're, they don't cost a huge amount, but the benefit they deliver back for that initial public investment is huge. And we need more local politicians to understand that. So am I right in thinking the CBA are going through a bit of a transition at the moment in looking at making sure you're pushing that argument and supporting it into going into the the following few years? Yeah, very much so. As, as part of the sort of move towards our 75th um, anniversary, we wanted to really look at the, the basis of our organisation. You know, are we kind of fit for purpose in the 21st century? Um, and so we're, we've, we've got a, a transformation project, as we're calling it, um, and we've been very lucky to benefit from some um, National Lottery Heritage Fund support, which will help to enhance our resilience. We've been able to go out and do a big audience development survey of our members. You know, what do they want? What would they like us to see? How can we grow our membership? How can we get our membership more engaged in what we do? So they're not just receiving materials, but it's very much a, a two-way process. We want to enhance the sort of financial resilience of what we do and provide a little bit more funding, which we can then put back into that frontline work that, that we do. Um, and ultimately, we want to kind of go, grow, grow what we do and be, be bigger, better, 
but more resilient in, in doing that. Um, and that's the aim over the next two to three years. Um, and we've got a huge programme of work underway. But with the support of our members and the partners that we work with, I'm sure we've got a bright future ahead. That's brilliant. So moving on with the interview slightly, um, what we normally do with people that take part in the interview, we have three set questions that we like to ask okay. them, if you're happy to go along with this. Yeah, um, and the first question we ask them, is there a bit of work that you're particularly proud of? So it could be within the CBA or it could be prior to your time here. But mm -hmm. yeah, what, what, something you look back on and reflect on and go, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with that. Well, there's a lot I'm very proud on, proud of in relation to what we've done at CBA over the period. I've worked, as I said, I've worked for CBA for nearly 30 years. I've been director for 15 years. We've done a huge amount in that time. Um, if I had to pick a couple of things, um, first thing would be the Archaeologist Club. Um, in the early 1990s, um, uh, it was agreed that the CBA should take over the running of, of Yak um, from Dr. Kate Pretty, who was at Cambridge University, who'd been pretty much running it herself out of her garage. Um, and I drove down from York to Cambridge to her garage. She loaded all the paperwork into the boot of the car. I brought it back to York. And ever since then, I've managed the team um, that's taken that forward. And in that point, uh, Yak had six branches, it's now got nearly 80, um, and it operates right across the UK, and it delivers life-changing experiences for young people, which can be sustained over a number of years, and, and makes an enormous contribution to their, their education and, and hopefully their future. So that's to me, is one of the most significant things we do, and I'm very personally proud of that. Um, I guess the other thing that we've been very involved with over the years is d digital um, um, issues and, and digital opportunities for archaeology. Um, and another initiative that I was personally sort of led and, and got started was the electronic journal, Internet Archaeology, mm -hmm. oh, yes. yeah. which is still going today, mm -hmm. you know, 25 years later. Um, and it's a, it's a fantastic resource. It's open source. Um, you know, everybody can, can access all the material that's published. We've published a vast amount of archaeological research over, over that period. Um, in really innovative ways. And we're still we're one of very, very few our, um, world journals, electronic journals, that publishes multimedia content. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not just PDFs online, which is what most of them are. You know, we've got, we've got really rich content, databases, um, geographical information systems, virtual reality models. All of those things are published online and sustained um, through the Archaeology Data Service. It's, that's an amazing thing, and I'm really, really pleased that we've been involved with that over those years. I have to agree with that one. We, I know working on the Seeing Beneath Stonehenge project, with the Stonehenge Riverside mm. project, we absolutely made the use, use of the Internet Archaeology yeah. Journal and got videos and interactive yeah. models. Yeah, fantastic. It's just something that almost no other discipline has. Um, and within our discipline, it's almost a unique enterprise and uh, long may it continue. Mm. I think those are two fantastic answers and two mm. things to be very, very proud of. Yak particularly is something I've, I've interacted with over the years. And I remember one of my first ever kind of field school experiences up in Sheffield we had the yak along and there was one student in particular who stuck in my mind notably because she threw a brick at me um, inadvertently um, but years later she was an undergrad with us at Bournemouth and I saw her go through and graduate and now works in the profession so it's incredible to see someone go through that long transition and something definitely to, to be proud of so with with pride out of the way we, we move on to envy <laughs> and uh, is uh, looking around at other people you know colleagues friends in the discipline or just other projects generally that you're particularly envious of and you think you know what i wish i'd been involved in that yeah, that's an interesting question I, I, i've always said i've got the best job in british archaeology so it's hard to be envious of other people because I, I they should be more envious of me in a sense um 
But obviously, the one thing that we don't do um, uh, as the CBA is we don't get involved in field projects ourselves. Mm. So we don't have that moment of discovery, which is, you know, sends the sort of ripples up your spine, which is one of the most uh, things that attracts many people to archaeology in the first place. And you hear about so many amazing research projects um, which have been taking place over many years. And you just think it, it would be lovely to be involved in some of those and be there on the ground, actually, you know, making those discoveries for uh, yourself uh, and contributing to that help developing of understanding and knowledge. Um, so there are too, far too many to list where I've looked enviously and thought, oh, that's a lovely project. I'd like to have been doing that. Um, I guess the magazine that comes out with, with the CBA magazine, yes, you yeah. just see the cream of the crop on in that. Yeah. And of course, the sun is always shining in the photographs, which always makes it look good. You know? <laughs> OK, so our last question is that Derek and I have actually made a working time machine. And anyone that takes part in the podcast gets a free ride, a return ticket. And all we need to know is where you'd like to go and why you'd like to go there. OK. Um, my earlier um, doctoral research before I worked for CBA um, was at University of Bradford on um, early medieval glass making. Okay. Um, and in that period, and we're talking sort of, you know, 8th, 9th, 10th century um, AD in, in the UK, we don't know um, where the glass was made. Um, we have some suspicions, but we don't really know. Um, and one of the key centres um, is up in the uh, monasteries of Jarrow and Monk Wearmouth. Um, and a few years ago, I gave a lecture in Monk Wearmouth Church and they have the door that Bede would have walked through when he was based there. And they opened the door for me. Um, and that was quite a privilege because they don't open the door very often. Okay. And I was able to walk through the actual door that Bede walked through. And I thought how amazing it would have been to have actually been there in that period when to watch him walking through that door and to have been able to really understand how did glass working happen in that period? You know, did we have to bring it all from abroad? Were the workers itinerant? Did they come from abroad? Did we have people in this country who had the skills? Where did the raw materials come from? So many questions that you could answer if you uh, had the chance to That's use your virtual time machine. We've had two uh, production-based answers in the last two weeks as well. Yeah, Derek's, yeah. Derek's forte as well. Yeah, so. I enjoy that very much. <laughs> yeah. no, that's a superb answer. Before we do go, as we understand, there's a bit of news being uh, announced today. Yeah, it's a, it's a special day for me in many ways because um, having worked for CBA for all this period of time, I'm actually telling to the members today that I'm going to be standing down as CBA uh, director um, and the advert for my successor will appear um, in the next issue of British Archaeology. Uh, it's been an incredible privilege to be CBA director. I'm only the fifth CBA director over that 75-year period. Um, and you know, people like you know, Beatrice Ducardi and Henry Clear, Richard Morris, George Lambrick, who are my four predecessors, were all amazing in their own right. Um, and the CBA is very much a family. And, you know, it's been great to keep being involved with them um, while they were still alive in Beatrice's and Henry's case. Um, and uh, I shall look back with, with real pride. I was going back to our earlier conversation about some of the things we've achieved over that period. And I shall now watch with, probably with envy, um, <laughs> uh, what happens next um, in CBA's uh, exciting journey. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you as a director for the last um, 30 years, you were saying. Uh, directors for 15 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, all your work over the last 30 years, director for 15. But um, thank you for your, your hard work and um, thank you. enjoy your mm. retirement. <laughs> oh, I'm not retiring. <laughs> I'm just going plans? on to new challenges. New challenges, oh, even um, better. Some, some, uh, hopefully some more diverse opportunities and it'd uh, be nice to be a bit more part-time and um, uh, but uh, but yeah no, I'd like to do I'd like to get involved in a few other projects but I'd also like to get in, continue to be involved in the, with the CBA because I do think we need strong advocates for archaeology in the period to come um, and I'm very keen to continue to be one of those brilliant superb mm. Mike thank you for your time today pleasure so we've just interviewed Mike Hayworth and we're about to pop into the Marsh Awards
really interesting session there some interesting outputs from some great people and certainly some things to think about yeah quite a lot to think about from there but we're going to um, go and chat to some winners now so first up we're going to chat to Roisin Hogarth let's go Roisin, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate you giving us your time. Um, and you've just won the award for Best Young Archaeologist at the CBA Awards, is that right? Young Archaeologist of the Year. Young Archaeologist of the Year. Even better. <laughs> um, could you tell us a little bit about your involvement with the Young Archaeologist Club and what led to the award? Well, I joined the Young Archaeologist Club four years ago, and that was sort of my first experience of archaeology. Um, I've been with them ever since and now my little sister is sort of coming into it so that's really cool because I'm like old enough to be leaving now. Um, so yeah, the awards come at quite a good time for me actually. So it's, it's good that I got it because it's going to help me, I think it's going to help me like apply to university and stuff. Nice. Um, so yeah, YAG has meant a lot to me over the years because it's got me really involved in archaeology and that's how I've gotten onto all these other community projects. So what kinds of projects were you involved with with the YAC? Um, I think with YAC is how I first got involved in a project um, at Bunkle, trying to find a lost village around a, like an old castle, which is basically just a mound now. Superb. Um, and when we did it with YAC, we were just um, geophysing it. And then since then, I've been back as a volunteer as my, like by myself and with my mom and we took my little sister along um, and we've been to all the digs so it was yeah it was a really good experience. You've become a bit of an archaeological family in that respect. Yeah. That's amazing so what um, dare I ask what does the future hold with archaeology are you going to pursue it as a career or have you got other ambitions in mind now? I don't know that I'd pursue it as a career I think it's the weather's a bit bad for that <laughs> but I Very think I'll, I'll definitely do it as a, a, a hobby. Mm. Because I think it's, yeah, it's character building. <laughs> so is there any advice you'd give to any prospective young archaeologists out there who may listen to the podcast, hopefully? <laughs> well, I'd say um, go for it. It's fun. It's educational. Um, it can really help you get places in life, I think. Although I'm still working that out. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it's a sort of a unique hobby. No one really expects young people to have it. Mm. So when I tell my friends about it, they're like... Archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all seem quite interested in it though. So, Is there a particular aspect of the archaeology that you really enjoy, like the survey or the finds? Or um, like that? Well, I think it's all fun. I've done a bit of everything at yeah. this point. So, But yeah, the digging is yeah. generally the best bit. As long as it's sunny. <laughs> well, I've I completely been... <laughs> agree, to be honest. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to argue with that one. I, I, was, I was doing a survey at a project in Hume. Um, and it was like thunder and lightning, so <laughs> lucky that was just survey, not digging, so. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very, very much for joining us. Oh, it was wonderful to, to chat to Roisin. What an interesting character. And despite the fact that she says she's not going to go off and pursue a career in archaeology, I bet she's in a career in ruins <laughs> before we know it. Um, but we're going to try and catch the winner of the community archaeologist now. I can't wait for this. Which is Eleanor Kingston. That's right. I've known Eleanor for a while because she's the archaeologist at Lake District National Park, so part of the National Park family. Excellent. And I'm looking forward to chatting to her. Let's go talk to her. Yeah, Eleanor. Um, sorry, I'm Derek. Hi, Derek. Hi, Thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. And we just saw you there get one of the Marsh Awards for Community Archaeologist. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and the, your career as it currently is? Yeah, so I currently work for the Lake District National Park Authority. I joined them about 18 years ago, working as their archaeologist. Um, 
before that I've worked uh, for county councils in Warwickshire and Cumbria and graduated from Sheffield and York universities. When did you go to Sheffield? I was in Sheffield 93 to 96. A little bit before me. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> keep it moving, keep it moving. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Could you also give us a bit of detail about some of your recent projects and sort of what led to this award really? Yeah, so um, in the Lake District we've had a couple of heritage lottery funded projects. Um, the biggest one was working at the Coniston Copper Mines, a project called Coniston Copper, where um, we undertook the conservation of the mining remains there, which was sort of half of the project, but the other half was working with the local community, uh, investigating and surveying the archaeology on the site but also undertaking interpretation work and working with the local schools uh, to really explain the industrial heritage that was on their doorstep. Is there much in terms of the sort of I guess for community elders for want of a better term but is there much of a a memory of the mining heritage in that area or is it quite distant in the past? No, I think I think there is, um, but I think the overriding thing for me is when we started doing the project was that typically at school when they did industrial heritage they looked places in Manchester and Liverpool rather than the actual heritage that was on their doorstep and the copper mining. So for me it was really about um, providing the school and the teachers with the tools that they needed to be able to inform you know, the classroom and the people in the classroom. So giving them the confidence to talk about um, that heritage. Um, and by working with the teachers and the, the school children and taking them on site, showing them and taking them underground in some cases, um, we sort of be, were able to then infuse uh, the parents and the local community as part of that. So it worked really well engaging everybody then to, to realise, I think, the actual importance of the mining heritage, which I don't think they'd thought of it in that way before. It's almost turning the history into heritage, isn't it? Yeah. And giving them a sense of ownership and a sense of Definitely. place related to it. That's amazing. Definitely, yeah, yeah. So that they valued actually the heritage on their doorstep, which yeah. before they hadn't really considered that mm. might be important to other people. So, yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. No, it's brilliant. And um, in terms of um, other community archaeologists out there, any words of advice or wisdom for them going forwards? Oh, goodness. Uh, get involved. Um, find a local society or group that are actively doing work. Uh, we have a volunteer service and we've got lots of volunteers going out and doing things. And I would just suggest getting involved and, and working on projects that mean something to you. Yeah. That's brilliant. Uh, congratulations again. And enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Some great words of wisdom from Ellen there and a well-deserved award, I think. Absolutely. What, a, what an interesting person and what a great career as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So next up is Kevin Claxton, who's um, early careers researcher. Yeah, he's been doing some really interesting stuff. I'm looking forward to chatting to him. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And congratulations on uh, winning, what was it, it's the Early Career... Early Career Researcher in Archaeology, I think. Fantastic, a lofty <laughs> award. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you could give us a quick breakdown of what it is that you've, you've done to date that, that's got you shortlisted and, and yes. successful in the end. Okay, um, well, I'm, my research has, is basically on battlefield archaeology. Um, for my undergraduate research at the University of York, uh, my dissertation project was uh, analysing a large collection of 
artefacts that had come from a battlefield uh, down in Cheriton near Winchester, um, which is an English Civil War battlefield. There's been a collection that had been recovered over about 30 years by local amateur metal detectors and it had never been analysed before. And so I analysed the collection. Um, as a result, we were able to learn more about the battlefield itself, uh, pinpoint some of the kind of hotspots of where the fighting took place and really understand more about the, what happened on the day of the battle. Um, and I've been continuing that in my master's research, which I'm currently almost at the end of. Um, I should actually be at home writing my dissertation <laughs> now, but I was convinced not, to come along today. Good so, excuse yeah. not to be doing <laughs> yeah. that. Exactly, yes. This is actually quite a nice break from sitting in front of my laptop, um, swearing at things. But uh, <laughs> yes, this was... Uh, so yeah, uh, my, my master's research is, is a similar thing. Um, I've actually been searching for a battlefield this time. Um, so it's one that's uh, not really well known. It's on the other side of the Yorkshire Moors, a little bit closer to York. Um, and we've, we've just done a uh, metal detecting survey over three days, um, hoping to find some artifacts that pinpoint the location of the battle. We didn't. No, exactly. <laughs> I, would, so I would just add, uh, <laughs> not complete waste, we did find some artifacts which we think are associated with the battle. Um, so there are a few musket balls, but there's also things like buttons and buckles and things like that. So we think we are, if we're not very close to the battlefield we are you know it's possibly that the area we were searching was only a small area and it's possible it was a route to or from the battlefield or it's right on the edge of it so we are close so where is it uh, you're studying at university of york so all my research has been university right. of york yeah super so still going at york yeah obviously this is an award that recognizes contributions early on in your career yes so what does the future hold what comes next do you think have you got plans for the future um, I'm hoping to do a PhD, um, that's my immediate uh, future plan. Um, I've in the process of submitting an application for a PhD, this again will be at University of York because I like it there, um, and from then I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm kind of seeing what happens next, really. Um, if you could have a bit of advice for anyone, perhaps a bit further back in their stages yeah. of their career than you, what, would, what words of wisdom might you give them? Take every opportunity that comes your way. Um, and just, you know, be proactive, get up and go. It's good, yes. Kevin, thank you so much for your time you. and right. congratulations. Thank we you. look forward to hearing more. Oh, what an interesting few minutes. I quite enjoyed that. Yep. I must admit, though, I am looking forward to catching these last guys, if we can, the guys from the Dudden Valley Local History Group who won the Community Archaeology Project Award. That's right. They seem like some really interesting characters. Should we go and try and find them? Let's grab them. Steve, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on winning. It was the commun Community Archaeology Project. Okay. Ah, uh, yeah, we're dead chuffed. We're dead chuffed. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you go up and get the award, but there's a huge, a huge pyramid of volunteers and committee members and the professional archaeologists from Oxford Archaeology North who are our professional contractors. Lake District National Park and uh, the National Trust. And your society is called? The Dudden Valley Local History Society. So the Dudden is a fairly obscure river in the west of the Lake District that Wordsworth bothered to write uh, 34 sonnets about. Um, and it's coming up to his 200th anniversary of writing wow. them next, next year. So um, it'll increase our profile. Absolutely. So was there a specific piece of work that you undertaken to receive the award today? Well, we had, took part in a dig back in 2003 um, 
at a Bronze Age site that nobody really in the valley knew about, you know, high up on the fells. And we thought, well, if we didn't know about that, what else do we not know about? So the whole valley was walked from ridgeline to the river both ways. And um, he found over 3,000 unrecorded archaeological bits. Then we took on a number of rectilinear structures that we thought, ooh, could be Viking longhouses, and we surveyed them. And we, we presented information to CWAS, the Cumberland and Westmoreland Antiquarian and Archaeological, Archaeological Society. And it has to be peer-reviewed to go into their journal. And the peer reviewer said, you'll never know if you don't dig. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was quite amazing to then set about getting enough money to dig and enough volunteers and... It was brilliant. We've met some fabulous people, haven't we? Who have we been joined by here? This is, this is the, the chairman. I just do the work. This is, this is the man who takes... The, this is Ken. I delegate. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Ken, congratulations on Thank on you the very much. Um, I wonder if you could give any words of wisdom or advice to any other archaeology groups that are out there that are looking to do work, perhaps haven't quite taken the steps forwards that you guys have. First of all, yeah... Um, the key to it was setting up a little steering group. Just a few members, about six or seven, we knew they were all going to be keen. And getting them right, getting a good treasurer. Yep. Getting a very good <laughs> treasurer, that's the first thing. So we've got a little steering group going, and then who else do you need to ask? And that's when you start expanding. Whose land are we going to be going on? So that was where we got in touch with a national park, saying, you're the experts, what do we do now? And then all the advice that was given from there and tremendous support from the National Park from Helena saying, you know, this is what you need to do, these are the pitfalls, you know, got to do this, got to follow that. Yeah, I mean, there's some wonderful, <laughs> one wonderful spin-off on it, which I thought was incredible. Who owns the land? Mm. Great when we've got the National Trust. You know who owns <laughs> that one, but who's this plot of land up on the fell side? I used to be a Scotland Yard detective and I did the best bit of detective work I've ever done searching all the records as to who owned this bit of land. I end up going through various towns and I get a name, find somebody in the, in the Dudden Valley. I said, come up with a name. Do you know what the connection is? And he said, yeah, that's connecting with a certain individual. So I went and saw this individual, not my land. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so they, were, they, were, they must have been over the moon. Not only I own all that, do I? <laughs> yeah. So were they happy about the land or the archaeology? No, I was delighted. <laughs> yeah, upland stewardship scheme. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. So, yeah, what uh, was really interesting is we wrote our original lottery bid mm. on the basis of the archaeology. And the National Park and the National Trust had obviously been in lots more of this said. Uh, it's community you know forget the archaeology you know you could dig in a field as long as you've got loads of volunteers yeah. and you're involved schools and there's going to be legacy mm-hmm. so i did all the schoolwork, and that that was brilliant, brilliant. Was that you know as an ex-primary teacher the sort of stuff i love doing and uh, we went into schools and did archaeological activities and my wife came along and she put together broken plates and saucers 75 times <laughs> over, the, over the three-year project. And she was, you know, 
it stimulated the children. They, they wanted to get up on the fell. And the archaeologists who we employed said, right, they can have their own square metre and let them dig. And they were just... We found a stone, we found a stone. Is it an important one? No, <laughs> keep looking. Throw that over the shoulder. <laughs> but what was it going back on the microphone, but going back, when the excavation at Lead Pike, 2003, whenever it was, at that time, there were only 14 members of the actual history group. And the request came from the National Park. You know, we've seen all the enthusiasm with you individuals. Would you, could you survey the Dutton Valley on our behalf? I forget how many huge areas we found it. But then the membership started to increase because people were getting hands-on experience, mm. going out and finding. Well, it was yeah. wonderful. Look what I found. Nothing particular, you know, a hog hole. But we found the hog hole that hadn't been recorded. Mm. And it was that, that in itself generated more and more. So that got the membership up to 65. Wow. Then when we started to dig, people said, oh, can we come? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's now 95 members. Oh, that's fantastic. And it just had somebody outside. What's the big spin-off from it? It's the social side of it. Mm. It's been incredible. Steve did the report for us. The amount of friendships, long-lasting friendships that have developed. Mm. It is, it's been, it's been quite spiritual. I know it's a marshables, but it has been yeah. quite enlightening. I think that's, that's a perfect note to end on. Yeah. <laughs> 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 congratulations. Yeah. Thank well, you. Great. Thank, Thank you. you for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Yeah. And now, Virgin trains back to the ladies' mm. room. Not before a couple of glasses of wine. <laughs> We're all right tea total, young man. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're I'll have yours. <laughs> Right, with the martial words out of the way, we've got Richard Osgood's keynote speech next. So we can listen to that and hopefully catch him at the end. Looking forward to it. Richard, welcome back to the Career in Love Marines to see you podcast. It's the end of the day here. We yeah. pe- the last few people are, uh, are pootling out of the... Uh, yeah. the you've just, just delivered a fantastic lecture, so congratulations on that. Um, how has your day been? It's been interesting. I think what I've, I've, in, I've enjoyed the most is just seeing so many different projects celebrated here that you think got the diversity of of talent in I mean we've been celebrating volunteer work today and I'm just astonished by how much quality there is in that and that's the thing I've really really enjoyed see so you've got a habit wherever we do a talk there's eccentric background noise um so I've really enjoyed seeing so many um wonderful projects thanks Mike so many wonderful projects in um, the sphere of British archaeology from a volunteer perspective, and it's been quite poignant in many ways as well because Mike announced that it was his his last yeah. AGM today, and he's been a stalwart for the obviously for the CBA for such a long time yeah. that being part of that and seeing that he has actually left quite a good legacy, and we've got so many good archaeologists coming through. I especially like the three young archaeologists, if I'm yeah, brutally honest, yeah. because it's that is our future. Yeah. And seeing these youngsters with a real passion for heritage is just inspiring, it's lovely. I think today's made me quite a lot more infused about the CBA than I was. I, shamefully, I'm not a member at the moment, but I'll be signing up as soon as I get home, yeah. I think, and to see the good work they do, to see all the good people they bring together in kind of a positive... It, it does movement. engender a real positive feel, feel, doesn't it, that there is so much good work going on, so many members, and yes, if, if we can get as many younger people to join in, um, our, our discipline as a whole, that, that's got to be a good thing to do, hasn't it? That's it. I think um, that's a really good thing to finish on because we're getting ushered out by the porter it's and I'm pretty yeah. sure there's, uh, there's a beer at the King's Head waiting I, I for us. I think you know you said the magic word, um, it's been a really good day and let's, let's just hope for, for good things in the future for the CBA. Absolutely Richard, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very nice much. to see you both.